0: Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to be joined today by Garth Neufeld and Eric Landrum, um, who we're doing a little little podcast crossover here. Um, They have their own podcast, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, But we are just going to have a nice little chat with two expert psychology teachers to talk about, uh, I'm getting a look, <laughs> to talk about um, how they use the science of learning in their own teaching. Um, I have been introduced to Garth and Eric through um, the Society for the Teaching of Psychology conferences, been to many, many of those, and so i um, very familiar with the things that they do. And um, why don't I just let each of you guys kind of just introduce yourselves, where you are, a little bit of your background, if if that's okay, go ahead, Eric. We'll start with you.
1: Sure, uh, Eric Landrum. I'm from Boise State University. I, I currently serve as department chair. I've been a fan of the science of learning, I don't know, maybe 20 years or so, uh, in in its various forms, scholarship of teaching and learning, for a long time. In fact, I was thinking, Cindy, as you were talking, I I have a hard time remembering not using some versions or implementations of the science of learning Uh, i was a what we might call a straight lecturer for some time but i typically try to involve my students in some form of active learning and so um and before i let garth cut in here for the next 45 minutes i did want to mention that i'm really a fan of the learning scientist i appreciate how you're taking the the science and the the publications that come out of labs across the world, and you make it really digestible for a lot of us who don't have time to go to the original literature. So uh, I'm a fan. I'm a reader, and I appreciate what you're and your team. What you and your team does. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Eric. Yeah, that's 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 the goal, right? That's the goal is to try to spread the word as much as we can. Garth, you want to introduce yourself? Don't take forty five minutes though. Okay.
2: Okay, thirty-five <laughs> it is. Thanks for having me. And uh, my name is Garth Newfeld from Cascadia College in Washington State, and. It has been, uh, I, I've got basically the opposite story of Eric in terms of the way that I've used science uh, for teaching, it, it, especially in early career. I found myself at a community college and um, with no formal training as an instructor, really didn't know how the uh, science of learning intersected with what I was doing in the classroom. And so I had good mentors along the way. I was fortunate to grab those folks, or for them to grab me, uh, because I could see a you know a different scenario where I didn't have a strong department, didn't have people mentoring me in those ways. The learning scientists have been uh, in my inbox for as I, I don't know as long as you you all have been sending things out. I've been reading it. The first time that I saw anything from the learning scientists w- was when he produced those six posters about uh, different kinds of learning uh, or different kinds of studying for students really student focused and I saw those and I thought this is something that could help my students but it was also for me the motivating factor to being the kind of instructor uh, that that I could I, I could be and, it, and and part of it was the way that you all took some very very complicated science and really boiled it down to to suggestions that even instructors can use in their classroom. That's where I was 10 years ago. And, uh, so I'm very, very thankful for it. I have now tried to make courses that, that I can, you, you know, using the learning scientists kind of as a first step that I can say, this is a evidence informed course. Uh, the way that I am teaching to students, the things that I'm teaching, the things that I'm spending time on, uh, are, um, are you know evidence informed, and uh, they're going to help my students not only in this class but in classes to come. And I really do, when I look back, attribute that to a lot of what you've done. And so it's not only for students; it's for instructors as well.
0: I'm feeling all the good feels over here. This is great. So I'd I'd like to talk to you guys a little bit about how you go about incorporating some of these things. So maybe maybe some some examples of simple things, right? So Garth, you just spoke about like designing a course with these things in mind. And I feel like that's a little bit different than I'm already teaching and now what's something I can add to a course. So I wonder if maybe you guys can speak to kind of the the differences there. So maybe, maybe since Garth, you just mentioned sort of designing that way, we can kind of stay on that vein for a second and then switch back over to you, Eric, and we can talk a little bit about things to just add. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah.
2: So one of the things that I love is using... Uh, Retrieval practice in my classes and talking to my colleagues about using retrieval practice uh, because now I'm you know I feel like I've witnessed the benefit for my students and so now I want uh, to help others to see this benefit uh, to themselves as well as instructors, because we all want our students to learn and we all have outcomes that we want to meet and we're we're doing assessment to measure those things. And so um, in my course design, I think the first thing that I picked up through the learning scientist, and then some other things that I was reading, and this is even before, you know, some other folks got on the retrieval practice train and did some amazing work with it. But one of the things that I I did um, was I just I, I took it seriously. And I thought I teach a lot of introductory psychology. There's a lot of content there. We're moving past things so quickly that there is often, I assume, just a ton of learning lost because uh, of a lack of retrieval practice and, and just time and space for it. And so one of the things I started building into my course design is reaching back over you know, things we've covered in the past. And these aren't even maybe big outcomes of the course, but if I... If I thought that understanding uh, the way that social influence works is going to be beneficial to my students in their futures, at their jobs, or um, in grad school, or something like that, or their relationships, then I'm going to hit it a number of times so that they really get it when they leave the classroom. And I'm going to measure that, and I'm going to make sure that uh, what I'm doing is working uh, in terms of revisiting Those uh, ideas, and so you know, I'll dress them up differently, and um, and try to uh, you know make students think critically about them, and um, and and so it's not just rote memorization; it's application, but um, really revisiting things over and over again. And that is a very strategic. um, That has to be uh, very strategic because uh, when you are trying to give students in Psych 100 the overview of Psychological science, you have to be able to and willing to let some things go in order to uh, go into depth about um, some of these other topics and to, to use retrieval practice. So uh, I think 45
1: minutes and done. Eric. <laughs> and <laughs> well, thanks I for just... our time today. Really appreciate it. <laughs> and that is the Learning Scientist Podcast signing off.
0: <laughs> no, I was going to say, um, you know, I, I think one thing about teaching intro psych in particular is that it really can feel like almost 15 or 16 courses in one, right? Because you've got these distinct chapters sometimes and it can feel like kind of one and done. Like, okay, we covered that topic, moving on to the next one, and it's like 16 mini courses. So, and And I think you're absolutely right. In order to do that in a strategic way, you really have to build in the time for the review. And, and so it can't be 16 distinct things anymore. You really have to pick what, what is the depth that we want here instead of just the the breadth of a little bit of absolutely everything that nobody remembers later. So. Um,
2: I will just also say it made me think about the work that uh, the American Psychological Association has done on intro psych. They have uh, provided instructors with and, and Eric was part of this work um, themes uh, that really run through the entire intro course, which has made retrieval practice mo- more coherent, uh, or like the opportunity to use it where it's not so just disjointed. Uh, these themes can be uh, hit over and over again. And that is, I think, a like one of the wonderful contributions that that uh, group made to the teaching of introductory psychology, because it's not th- these, these these concepts, these 16 courses in one are not so distinct anymore. They did find those threads, which, you know, lots of people have been doing, but they suggested, you know, what those who don't have themes uh, chosen yet, they, they suggested what those themes might be. So, Yeah,
0: I remember when that came out, I sent it to everyone I know. I know. Um, so thank you for your good work there, Eric. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: Am I still on the podcast? I just wanted to make sure I'm still here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, why don't you talk to us about what, what do you do in your classes?
1: I, I'm sorry, Garth, do you want to answer this one for me?
2: Yeah, I can tell you what he doesn't do. Um, no, go ahead.
1: <laughs> so, um, you know, Cindy, I don't know if you would call it repetition or spaced practice, but, you know, I think as I've gotten older or taught longer, I I teach fewer things, which means it gives me a chance to come back to things more often. And so um, whether it's intro psych or some other course like research methods or statistics or psych measurements or the courses I tend to teach, you know, if you teach less, that means you can repeat it more often and not feel rushed. It also signals to students that these are topics that are important and we're gonna come back to them. I'm not a fan of the term, we're gonna cover this today because I think cover is a literal term, meaning I'm going to cover this up and get it over with, as is, as I'm gonna cover it and I'm not gonna go over it with any depth. And so I, I think that's the the one that I'd like to focus on. And I don't have to address every topic in a course or in a textbook. If students leave with some kernels of knowledge and better yet for me, if they can apply some skills based on the knowledge of that course, and they might be able to apply those skills one year after the course, or heaven forbid, five years after the course that are accurate based on the knowledge from psychological science, I don't need them to repeat or memorize and regurgitate a hundred terms from intro psych. I I don't need them to do that. So I, I like that repetition, that, I don't know if you'd call that spaced practice or not, and I may not have the terms very as well-versed as you two geeky scientists, but um, <laughs> I, I want to get away from covering things. I want to take deeper dives. I want to see students have applicable life skills based on the psychological science concepts.
0: Yeah, so one thing that I'm, I'm hearing from both of you is this idea that um, – of depth versus breadth, right? That if we really want folks to walk away knowing something, understanding something, and and being able to use it, uh, it's not about yeah covering a ton of material. It's about really um, honing in on what is most important. I'm I'm curious about your perspectives on something and you guys might tell me like i i don't know i can't solve this problem i can't so it's okay a lot of the people listening right now might be k through 12 educators and they don't get the choice to just throw out half the curriculum because the right. other half they find more important and so are there any i mean i think what you're saying is great and i 100% agree with it what advice might you have for those individuals who don't have that choice. Um, so are there other things or, or kernels um, of, or, or small activities that you put into your courses that might be useful here? I know Eric, you mentioned something about some active learning that you do in your classes. Maybe you could speak to uh, an activity or something.
1: Yeah, so you're, Cindy, you're exactly right. So I think a lot of high school educators, K-12 educators, they've got a curriculum they don't have control over. They may be teaching for AP psych or IB psych, so they, they may not have control. Um, they may have a curriculum that's handed to them. And and what, what I would say is bless their hearts. You got to do your job. You got to do what you got to do. They are typically amazing educators. but you. Can't, so if you got to teach 16 chapters of intro psych in 10 weeks, which I know folks like Garth do at community colleges and quarter systems then that's amazing. And I I stand in admiration of those folks. But what you can do is make choices about while you're teaching what you're going to emphasize. So for example, an active learning thing that I love doing in some of my classes is that have them make an infographic about a specific topic or series of topics. And so have them make an infographic about parenting or childhood and have them connect Concepts from at least five different chapters, and this is really kind of stealing an idea, really from um, AP Psychology, where it's one of the FRQs, the, the the free response questions, and you know talk about punishment and positive reinforcement and something from social psychology and how it relates to parenting, and make them make a poster in Canva and then make them present it to the class, and so with their high school class. And so they have to practice the critical thinking skills. They have to get get some artistic skills. They have to do a presentation to others, the oral communication skills. They have to get the the psychological science right. They have to do some APA format skills with getting the reference citation. They have to get the science right. So there's a way that you can cover the content, integrate it, but then hit all of these goals. But you have to really think about it. And if you're a first-year teacher in high school psychology, don't do that. Just survive. Do that in year five, year six, year 10. That would be an idea of active learning that I would suggest.
0: No, I love that. I love it. And I appreciate that, right? That I always try to say that to teachers, like, we're gonna to try to add one thing today. We are not gonna to try to reinvent right. the wheel because. You already do so much. Um, that's right. So I appreciate that. But I think that's a great idea. I, as you were saying, I was like, ooh, dual coding. Ooh, a little elaboration. Ooh, uh, you know, all the, and
1: thank all you for things. having the actual terms to apply of, of what I don't know the terms of. Thank you.
0: No, it's perfect. It's yeah. perfect. That's a great idea. I like that. Um, my students might not appreciate that because they might have to start doing something like that in, in yeah. my courses. <laughs> Garth, go ahead. You have an idea for us, too?
2: Well, I have had the pleasure of getting to know many high school educators uh, over my time teaching in the community college system. A lot of that has come actually through the AP reading where Eric and I actually both have served as uh, readers. And I don't know. These folks are so impressive to me what they can do to get through that content that they don't have the luxury of picking and choosing about. It's it's unreal. So. I feel a little bit inept to give this answer when I can think of 10 of my friends in the high school teaching world, maybe even 50 friends from that world who could probably give us better strategies. But I will tell you that uh, I have learned a lot. Uh, somebody once told me that that um, AP reading was the best professional development that I would ever do. I think it probably was true. Uh, and and not only with relationships, but in what I learned and one of the things that I learned and I've used in my classroom um, over and over again is uh, just just because you have to teach a lot of content does not mean that you can't do it effectively because there is uh, if you are, you know, if you need to cover 500 things in the course. Uh, like many of our, you know, uh, high school colleagues do, they find really creative ways to do it. And one of the things that I've done in my course, I've just kind of gone with it uh, in my intro psych course, is uh, instead of using multiple choice questions, or um, maybe a, um, maybe definition-based assessments or something like that, just shifting that over to real-life examples that are relevant to student lives. It's amazing how many questions are still in our course materials that have nothing to do with students' lives. And so um, it's not easy. It takes time. Uh, But instead of saying define such and such, to ask students to see it at work in their lives and uh, to write those questions or to find them, you know, go through the publisher's materials, find the ones that really do hit more on application than on something like definition or rote memorization or something like that. It really does make a difference. There are always opportunities to help students see how psychological science benefits them in their everyday lives. And a lot of time is just about tweaking what might already be there and making it more relevant for students to see themselves you know in that material so um yeah i'm glad that eric's by the way talking about skills eric loves skills i don't know how skills intersect intersect with the learning by the space.
1: way so do employers yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: really <laughs> i did That's want to say that. we we had a we had a little interruption and but i did did want to just comment on that that uh, i know that Eric is big on skills and when I think about these learning practices and kind of evidence-based learning strategies in my psychology teacher mind I'm often thinking about content but these are very applicable to skill building as well and so I appreciate that uh, Eric never lets me forget
1: that Well can I just interject interject bluntly if our psychology students cannot apply the con- the wonderful content of psychology, past memorization and regurgitation, it will do them no good in their life, whether personally or professionally. So my friends, it's all about skills.
0: I completely agree. Um, many years ago now, I switched all of my final exams in in all of my courses, but we'll stick with intro psych. Um, to, to being these application final exams, they were all essay exams, and it was a day in the life of someone like you, and all these crazy things happen, and it would just be stop points and say, explain to me what's going on here. And they had to use stuff from class, and everything had to be a unique concept from class. So it was like, read through the whole exam first, dot down what you kind of think you want to use, and then explain what's going on. Uh, because I said, you know, gosh, what do I actually want them to leave this course able to do? And that was what I wanted them to do. I wanted them to see psychology in their everyday lives. So why not have them prepare to do that and then do that. And then maybe they'll be able to do it in the world. Right. Yeah. And
1: and maybe they only leave with 10 ideas from your intro psych class. And you know what? Maybe your colleagues might think, oh, Cindy, are you kidding (laughs) me? You spent 16 weeks. I got to tell you, I would say, If they left with 10 ideas that they really understood and they could really apply, five years later, I'm nominating you for a Nobel Prize.
0: (laughs) I know. I, I feel the same way is that that's a huge win if they can walk away really understanding and applying with some depth. 10 concepts from that course. That's a win, but that is a big win. I mean, if um, future
1: parents can differentiate between positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement and punishment, or if anyone's ever going to anyone who's ever going to be around a child, the rest of their God-given life, <laughs> and they can differentiate those three terms. That's huge.
0: You know what? Even opinion. if they don't remember the terms, but they remember this yes. is the good thing to do and this is the that's not right. good thing to do, I'm happy. <laughs> How do
1: you increase behavior? How do you decrease behavior? Who cares right. if they've got the label right? You're exactly right.
2: Well, and that's, you know, as instructors, isn't that what we're doing too, is trying to increase and decrease behavior for our students, uh, for our learning goals. And uh, and so putting it into practice ourselves, I think is what the learning scientists have done really well and showed us how to do, uh, especially for those of us who didn't get it um, in our, you know, preparation to go into teaching higher education. So again, I appreciate it.
0: Well, yeah, I don't know about you. I mean, I guess, Garth, you said you didn't really have any training. I had one one course that they were like, we're so excited, got integrated into our program. Like, wow, we're actually training teachers now with this one class, <laughs> right? So I think that's pretty typical for higher education is there's not a lot of training of, of what is most effective.
1: And I think that speaks to why we have such admiration for our K-12 teachers is that's because right. they were taught how to teach. Yeah. They were really taught how to teach. And as you, you were both saying, I wasn't taught how to teach in my doctoral program. And so that I think that's why they're so good in the classroom, and why at the beginning of my career I was not.
0: Well, yeah, we talk about um, sometimes the the art and science of teaching, and I know a little bit about the science. And those K through twelve educators, it is an art, it is a craft, and I feel like I am I am still a novice in that area, even after teaching in higher ed for ten years. Right? I really feel like they. There's something there that, that um, yeah, that they have um, that is, it is an art for sure. I smell
2: a spinoff for the learning scientists uh, called the learning artists. So oh, yeah. um, I, I know you all have- else has to do that one. <laughs> you all have so much time right now doing this uh, that you should probably, you know, do that.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, let's talk about, um, about your spinoff here. Uh, let's talk about the psych sessions. Tell I'm me, sorry. How-
1: what What is Psych Sessions?
0: <laughs> tell me how it got started. Tell me a little bit about what you guys do or share rather with the people listening because I, I know a little bit.
2: <laughs> well, the whole origin story is, I think, on episode two. Is that right, Eric?
0: Yeah,
1: somewhere across episodes one, two and five, somewhere in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: We're now uh, we're we just celebrated five years ourselves. I know you all are a little ahead of us, but we uh, we celebrate that with uh, those who listen and who are so many people who have supported us. And this was something that we independently, without talking to each other, had uh, thought about. And then our good friend, uh, Sue Franz from Highline College. uh, All
1: hail Sue Franz.
2: All hail Sue Franz. (laughs) Put us put us together uh, on an email, I believe, and just said, hey. You are both interested in this. You ought to talk, and that's how that's how it started. And and uh, Eric and I bring very different kind of skill sets and loves for what we do, and it is it's been a labor of love to do this for five years now.
0: Yeah. So, what do you do? Uh, because I'm assuming there are some people listening who don't currently listen to psych sessions and might want to.
1: Actually we have our entire audience of listeners we have room for no other additional listeners so so we are full there's a sign up list no thank you thank you Cindy let me just let me just add a little bit Garths being modest um Garth brings a talent that I I don't have Garth is a musician so he understood audio he understood recording uh he understood the piece that I could have never done and so he got us started um i i i think i'm safe in saying that neither one of us were interviewers so we kind of discovered this uh school of hard knocks so to speak by doing and you know i and i don't know Cindy if you feel the same way and hopefully you didn't feel the same way today it takes about twenty minutes to get comfortable with people, typically in a one hour interview there's typically a point in an interview where the person relaxes on the other side of the microphone. Again, I hope it happened a lot quicker today. If not, the listeners can figure it out for themselves uh, but it, it's so the how the the o g the original psych sessions, the longest running Whereas of this date, we've released 159 episodes, is about an hour long, long form interview, typically free form with a teacher of psychology. For the most part, we've ventured into a few interviews with a few other souls where we just talk about teaching, learning, and other stuff that we want to talk about. And we'll go off on a tangent quite frequently because you've met us. (laughs) So we'll go off on tangents. And whether it's about their childhood or what instrument they played in band or um, what their first major was when it wasn't psychology or what they're teaching right now this semester or for textbook authors who they tried to publish with first. And we get the inside scoop on those types of things. And so we just People our teachers of psychology are fascinating. And as you already know, they're so generous. They're generous with their time. They're generous with their stories. And it's just been a hoot and a
0: holler, I gotta tell you. Yeah, I think one of my favorite things is is hearing a lot of those sort of Origin stories, if you will, and and the 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 often like winding path to where they are now. Um, that there aren't a lot of people with just this like straight shot trajectory to. Um, and here I am, even though these are people where I've just like idolized them. They're the people that are, later I'm like, hey, I was in a I was in an elevator with so and so once, and it was so cool, right? Uh, and then I hear their story, and I'm like, wow, they're just normal people, aren't they? <laughs> they really are. Um, so I, I, that's that's one of my favorite things yeah. about about the podcast is really seeing kind of that lifting yeah,
1: you wouldn't of think tomorrow. that wayne whiten was worried about getting into grad school and he cooked steaks at a steakhouse and if he wasn't going to get into grad school he was going to go back and be able to cook 30 steaks at a time and he had that skill set that was his skill set he was going to fall back on and mm-hmm. all these amazing people we've talked to over five years
0: yeah no kidding
2: we uh i think We've kind of come to the point where we've said that psych sessions exist to get more teachers of psychology, more professional development for free. And uh, it's it's more than that. It's not maybe typical. It's non-traditional uh, professional development. One of the things through the pandemic that, I, that we heard from people uh, that the psych sessions uh, podcast did was kept us connected. We've got a pretty tight national, as you know, a pretty tight national community of uh, teachers of Psychology through the Society for the Teaching of Psychology. It's got a great Facebook page and resources and all those kinds of things. And one of the things that we were, we were able to step in during the pandemic and uh, make this group feel like uh, they were still connected. And so it was our pleasure to do that. Um, but, you know, we we do a lot of different things. We live in a lot of different areas. Um, I had the pleasure of interviewing Albert Bandura before he passed away. And so that is, you know, oral history is part of what we've started to do over the years. Some great uh, folks. We've had the opportunity to interview uh, Arthur Evans Jr. Uh, of the American Psychological Association, and so we've those those are you know those are big fish for us, and uh, just a pleasure. I can't believe people take time out of their schedules, but that means to me that they also care about what they do and um and you know what kind of legacy they they're they're leaving and and. Uh, what they're hoping to accomplish. And so there are some amazing um, interviews. And I I think uh, what you said, Cindy, is true, that the folks who are just doing the day in, the day out, like we all are at their institutions, they have a story to tell and it's interesting. And when you just sit down with a person, I could sit down, I, I really feel like I could sit down with anyone and it would be interesting because people are interesting and these people just happen to teach psychology as well. So yeah, we're we're really excited to keep this going. We're growing right now. We've got something like 10 other series other than the flagship one that we've either are running currently or are um, running. And we've got more
1: coming. So lots well, of so that's what I was
0: about to ask. That's yeah. my next question. Yeah, go ahead. Is what's in the works? What's in the pipeline?
1: So so what if you go to psychsessions.org, shameless plug psychsessions.org. Uh, which is a newly designed website. Thanks to Corbett Stubbert. Um, We have uh, at work, which is about IO psychology and I'm not looking at the screen. So forgive me. You had to help me out here, Garth. We have on TLC, which is about centers for teaching and learning. We have SOTL, which is about scholarship of teaching and learning. We have ask psych sessions, which is done by the fabulous, Marianne Lloyd at Seton Hall, which has got like 78 of its own episodes where people have asked questions or she's generated questions. And then she goes out and she finds a researcher or a scholar to answer it from the empirical standpoint. And I'll bet a lot of your listeners and readers, Cindy, would really appreciate the Ask Psych Sessions series.
2: They're also bite-sized. They're like 15 minutes. 15 minutes. minutes. Each targets one particular thing. Yeah. It, it might be the easiest way to get into psych sessions uh, is, is to do those.
1: And there's some other ones that um, are archived right now. Writing for Psychology is out there. Uh, and there's other series as well. But we've got some in the works about intro psych sessions. We've got one about mentoring. Help me, Garth. What am I forgetting?
2: Well, of course, you failed to mention the ones that you are such a part of.
1: Oh, beyond teaching. We got one about beyond teaching, which is about what are all the things that we should have learned in graduate school, but no one ever told us, right? We've got one about teaching matters, which is kind of a kind of a random riffs on. Whatever's on the mind of the folks who are talking on the podcast that day. And that's with Rob McIntarfer, high school instructor
2: extraordinaire. And um, who are our other hosts? We've mentioned a couple of them, and we're
1: going to leave people out, but uh, Addie Inca. Um, the Kinsler Smith from City College, New York. S- um, Susan Nolan from Seton Hall University. Chris Hackla. Janet Peters, the host of uh, I should really have the list in front of me, right?
0: You didn't know I was going to (laughs) ask. No, I should
1: have known you were going to ask Janet Peters. Janet Peters, thank you.
2: Washington State's own, yeah. So we've got a lot going on, a lot coming. It's it's so much fun. We're we're now we're producing stuff. There are things that Eric and I could never ever do. We don't have the expertise to talk about some of these things and. Now we have like an IO psychologist, like Janet Peters saying, I want to do something. I'm trying to talk somebody right now into doing a skills-based psych uh, uh, podcast. Eric, you'll be happy about that. So the platform is ready. And so, and, and Psych Sessions, we are now kind of moving into that network space of being able to help people get their own thing going, which is a really exciting place to be.
1: Actually, this is actually the first step in what we hope is a non-hostile takeover. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I
0: don't know. I can see, I can see some partnership here. I de- like de-
1: definitely some cross collaboration would be lovely. I mean, sure. you all do a great job. I mean, the idea of keeping a blog up and running, I mean, we all know a lot of blog writers and it's, as you know, it's hard to keep that thing up and running.
0: Oh, I know. Uh, thankfully I work with a group of three incredible women and so and all of us have young families and stuff just happens right. as you guys know how many times did we have to reschedule this and we all would just work so seamlessly together that it's like guys it's not gonna happen this week who's taking over and we just jump in there and help each other out it's a beautiful collaboration um, can
2: i just i'll just say i i because I've experienced some of that in this friendship and, and professional relationship with Eric, it is such a gift when you find those folks that you yeah. can do this work with. And I would just say to anybody out there, if there is somebody who you have, you get enjoyment out of working with them professionally, you know, follow that because uh, that is what's going to keep you from, you know, burning out on projects or professional activities. It's, uh, I think you just hit on something really important there, Cindy.
0: Yeah, and um, this is not meant to be a, a shameless plug here, but I don't know if you guys know that we have a book coming out, and the reason that I'm mentioning it is just we wrote a whole book and it was so much fun. There were, there were no like aches and pains along the way. I mean, we had, Megan had a baby during it. Like we had life things happen and, and it all just came together and was just so enjoyable that I I think, yeah, to anybody listening, if you, if you have that sort of professional partnership with somebody, stick with it, Make something out of it. It makes life fun.
1: Yeah. Two things. What uh, when the book comes out, let's have you on Psych Sessions for a full blown interview to shamelessly plug the <laughs> darn book for an entire hour. Let's do that.
0: <laughs> sure. And then
1: secondly, to your point, I think I think both you and Garth have made a really important point here, which is I think a lot of times faculty members find a topic they're passionate about. And they go look for collaborators. I'm not going to say that's wrong because, of course, you do what you do. But I think some, I I think another model to consider is you find a collaborator that you find joy, and then go find a project that that fills you. Whether it's a book on learning science or a podcast about teachers of psychology or whatever it is. That can be academically rewarding or personally rewarding.
0: Uh, So unfortunately, um, Eric's internet dropped out on us. So I am just going to say a huge thank you to Eric, who is no longer here with us, but also to Garth. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing uh, a lot of the good work that you guys do. I, I can't say how much I appreciate it.
2: Well, we appreciate the learning scientists, as we've said. I always think a podcast sounds better without Eric as a part of it. So I'm so glad that we're (laughs) ending this way. (laughs) But uh, Cindy, thanks for everything that you do and thanks for having us. Uh, And, you know, we are looking forward to the opportunity to partner with the learning scientists more in the future because I think we have the same thing, you know, that we're trying to accomplish and that is helping uh, educators educate and helping students learn. So uh, that is, that is great and you are leading the way and we appreciate it.
0: Yeah. And I just want to leave our listeners with just one final thought, which is, Garth and Eric are good, close friends who like to poke fun at each other.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, we should say that, shouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, it's like
0: these little sarcastic little jabs throughout. I want to make sure everybody knows they're they're good, all in good, good humor. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Garth, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. This episode is funded by listeners like you. To support our work and gain access to exclusive content, visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com learningscientists.